0: Welcome, my name is Peter Preston and you're listening to the Dear Video Podcast, where I share resources and behind the scenes looks at building better connections with customers, clients, and even colleagues with the top video marketers who are doing this stuff every day. Today, I'm joined by Robert Cassard. Robert is a video growth hacker, he's a musician, he's a producer, he's an editor, he's an author based out of California. Some of the things that you'll learn from Robert today, what authenticity means and why it wins in video, how to use video at every stage of a customer lifecycle, and the number one way to boost your SEO rankings. And yes, it does involve video. All right, let's hear from Robert. Robert, so you're the the CEO of Voodoo Video Marketing Magic. I saw that you're a growth hacker, a video growth hacker. You are the owner of an indie music label called Pentacle. Uh, You play guitar. You seem to be just very busy and uh, in a very creative ways, is it, is it safe to say that you are or would consider yourself to be a, a creative?
1: Yeah, that's a label I never escape, you know? It, <laughs> yes, the answer is yes and, uh, you know, happy to be, just always been blessed with that.
0: Yeah, I, and it shows, I think, through all the work and watching your videos and watching how you've constructed the business and stuff, it looks like you really enjoy what you're doing, which it comes through, which is really nice to see.
1: I appreciate that. Glad to hear it.
0: Um, I, I was watching, I was on your website and I was looking at some of the testimonial videos and I saw a quote or heard a quote from one of the gentlemen on there that, um, about video, uh, sorry, voodoo video marketing and the automated solution there. And I think it was the, the video library that you have. And they said that you, you solve the problem of video marketing being too expensive. And mm-hmm. that's what kind of pulled me in. And because that to me is a very interesting hurdle that, Video producers or videographers, anybody, sort of struggles with those conversations with potential clients and customers. Um, but before we dig into that, can you tell me exactly what you do with video and, and who you work with?
1: Sure. That that's like saying, can we can we open up this massive book? Where do we start? You know, that's the hardest <laughs> thing for me. Um, what I do with video, I I have kind of split my life into two primary components when it comes to video. Mm-hmm. One of them is, as you said, video growth hacker. I have a, a solo practice, right? It's a video production practice. And my whole concept there is that I help companies hack growth using video. So in other words, any way that video can and should be deployed in order to grow a business okay. and so that that's really you know kind of the focus of my solo practice but it's not really separate from voodoo voodoo is simply an extension of that and voodoo happens to be a software platform mm-hmm. so that's really the key over there is that voodoo was set up now 13 years ago believe it or not to essentially provide an automated video communications platform so, you know, basically it always comes down to two things, right? You've got, whenever you're thinking about video, you've got to be thinking about content. And then in this modern online digital world, we've got to be thinking about deployment. How is the video going to be used? And, you know, is it going to be triggered manually? Is it going to be automated based on the customer lifecycle? Is it going to be personalized? You know, those kind of questions come up, and Voodoo is really all about that side of it. It's really the the deployment and the personalization, and then how the video is going to be used in that customer lifecycle throughout that whole process. So there's a lot to unpack there, uh, but it's pretty much those two sides, production over here and then deployment on the other side.
0: Yeah. And I think both of those I'm very interested to hear more about, but I I think one thing that stood out to me is that the automation side, how are you automating video? Because that seems like something that's really difficult to, I I don't know, like get your head, get my head around um, because typically video is a one-off, right? Like you have an idea, you want to shoot a particular video and that's it, that's done. Then you have to create a new one. So how are you automating this?
1: Uh, Okay. So that is a really great question. And, I'll, I'll try to keep this as simple and informative as possible rather than, you know, if I go too far in the weeds, just stop me. I brought up that term customer life cycle. Mm-hmm. And from my standpoint, I think something that has always made me different, you know, you said, hey, you know, creative, what does that mean? You know, and, and for me, I always viewed creativity in service to some kind of purpose, You know, so if it's a nonprofit, maybe it's a noble purpose, it's it's a cause, you know, but if it's a profit-making business, for me, video serves in this role of doing something for that business. What's it going to do? How is it going to grow the business? And that's why I use the term growth hacker is because I don't really even enjoy creating video for its own sake. You know, if a video is yeah. just going to be a one-off and it's going to maybe do one little thing or stroke the ego of a CEO or something like that, forget it. I do, I'm not even interested. But if we're going to talk about video in a broader context, how can video be inserted into the awareness-building process, into the pre-sale understanding of a product and helping convince somebody that this is the right thing by educating them properly. Um, How can video be used after you make a sale to say thank you, you know, just to be polite, right? How can we can say thank you? We can give instructions to a new purchaser of a product or service and, and help them use it more effectively. And then, you know, as you go further into that cycle, there's you know there are going to be breakage points in any kind of relationship. Can you anticipate those needs and, and put video into the process? Uh, at a certain point, you have enough of a relationship that you can ask for feedback. Video can be used to do that really effectively. Once you get the feedback, who's satisfied, who isn't? Let's talk to those satisfied people and let's get them to help uh, provide referrals so we can start the cycle over again and bring new people into that mix. So I am always thinking about video in all of those different ways. And you know, it does make it complicated, right? I mean <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> that's...
1: I mean the bottom line is there are not that many companies who are ready to say, I want to use video at every stage of my customer life cycle. You know, I mean they might want to, but they're afraid of it for 10,000 reasons, not the least of which are money. You know, they're afraid of spending money on that process. But hey, you know, luckily for me, there are enough companies who get that concept and get excited about it. And of course, we can phase it, right? It's not like you come in and say, you got to develop, you know, 15 videos all at the same time in order to enable this customer lifecycle. You start somewhere, And usually it's going to be something to do with sales, right? I mean, almost every company comes (laughs) and wants a sales video or they want an explainer video or, you know, they know they want something that generates revenue. Mm -hmm. So that's usually where it starts.
0: And so it it strikes me, though, that you've been doing this for a lot longer than um, I've typically seen. I I feel like this idea, the the time has almost come. And (laughs) I feel like this, this year in particular, Pandemic, everyone working from home or you know, just changing the way that we work and changing the way that we communicate and so talking about true. sales you know if face- to face meetings are now if you're having them potentially very awkward in the first place, so you know yep. it, it's moving to video, but you've been at it for quite a while. I'm not trying to paint you as as having been around for ages and ages, but just looking at the material looking at the way that you've built video into, as you said, that full customer lifecycle, you've been doing that for a lot longer than anybody else I've seen. Um, how did you get into that? Like, what were the conversations that you were having that kind of led you down this path to put video in particular into the, that whole life cycle?
1: Yeah, that, that's a cool question. Because, see, I, I evolved into video over a course of about a 15-year period. I mean, I came out of college and went into an ad agency as a copywriter. So, you know, I was a creator right from the get-go. Uh, but, you know, pretty quickly they figured out, just based on the way I approached the different campaigns, I was always looking at the results. What, what are we trying to generate with this campaign? And I cared more about that than how clever the words were. And so that kind of made me evolve very quickly out of copywriting and into account services. And they were throwing me all these problem accounts that had small budgets. And they were saying, well, Cassar will think outside the box. He'll make stuff happen for them. He'll stretch their budgets. He'll do this and that. And back then, we didn't have the internet to do all this stuff so effectively, right? So I was doing advertising, unpaid PR, you know, events, contests, co-op programs, I mean, whatever guerrilla craziness I could come up with, I was doing. So what was interesting about that period was that whenever I could, I always wanted to insert video into the process. But a lot of times it was expensive, especially back then. You know, we were shooting stuff on 35 millimeter film back in the day. So there was a lot of expense to do quote video, and it was hard to distribute other than television. So, But there was a certain point, and it was probably sometime during the early 90s, that I just was looking back over what I'd done with all this multidisciplinary marketing and realizing that every time we did video, it had way more effect than any of the other tools we'd used. It was like video was the magic bullet. And gosh, that, I mean, without going too far down the path, that led me into a whole period of my career where I was doing fundraising videos for nonprofits, you know, the big gala dinner videos where everybody mm-hmm. sits in a seat, eats a great dinner, and the video comes up in the dark room and everybody gets their heartstrings pulled and they pull out their checkbooks, you know. So that was sort of my approach to storytelling with video was influenced by that that whole thing of how do you represent a cause and do it in a way that's emotional and visceral and all that. So I really saw how effective video could be in that context, right? I mean, literally, you know, you'd walk in at the beginning of an evening, and the, the nonprofit would be struggling, and people would sit down, they'd watch the video, and then they'd raise you know, $3.2 million. And you'd say, that is the power of video right there. And it wow. would not happen if you could not transport those people from sitting at a table in a dark room to being on the front line of whatever that cause was doing whether it was educational or i mean you name it whatever it was you could bring people there and make them feel it and as soon as they felt it they were willing to open their checkbooks like i said well that's really only one step away from buying a product you know buying a service it's it's kind of the same so that's my long way of saying video was simply the most effective tool I ever found. And at yeah. a certain point, I just got completely committed to it. And then the web caught up. You know, it, it started where it was really tough to push video over that tiny little, connect. you know, the bandwidth was so low and you were looking yeah. at postage stamp size videos. There was a moment, and I, I couldn't even tell you when it was, probably around oh five, oh four, oh five when all of a sudden the compression algorithms made it possible. You could Mm -hmm. really do stuff on the web. You could make people feel things through video on the web for the first time. And I think at that point, it was like, it was all over for me. I knew that's what I'd be doing because I already was sold on the power of video. Now I had the distribution medium too. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. That actually reminds me of a story of uh, a gentleman I spoke to a couple months ago. He's here in Australia. He worked on... The video producer, worked on the Sydney Olympics and back, yeah. this was this is like predates what you're talking about, like that 2005 where video became accessible and shareable online, where I think it yeah. was whoever the, the chairman of the Olympics here in Australia was supposed to go to Europe to meet with the IOC and he really just didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's yeah. a long flight. And probably not a whole lot of entertainment options on the flights back then, but uh, they came up with the idea of like, why don't we just send a video? So they actually put it on a video on VHS and Mm -hmm. talking to this guy, Paul, he said it was like this epiphany moment where, it's like, wow, we can, that did all the work for us and everyone was happy. So it's really interesting to hear this evolution because it's always kind of been there, but it was cost prohibitive. Well it was prohibitive in a lot of ways, wasn't it? It wasn't just cost. in a
1: lot was, of ways. Like yeah. Said, when I think back to those ad agencies day the ad agency days and the broadcast production department, you know, and what a what a closed system that was and just how expensive every aspect of it was, and how today, I mean, especially because of smartphone video this whole thing has gotten so democratized. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I love it. I am so happy that it's moved in that direction because, you know, I'm truly an evangelist for the power of video generally. And another great trend that has occurred, especially online has been that authenticity now is so much more valued than it used to be. You know, it used to be that it, that any kind of video communication needed to be 100% polished sort of national quality or you couldn't trust the company that put it out and now it's almost the opposite you know if you're too polished it actually can be a strike against you depending on where we are in that customer life cycle you know it's like yeah. there are certain things you can get away with and should get away with at different points as you move through it so anyway that again that's another level of it but yeah, it's really cool what's happened, and I mean, you're a video editor. You know how amazing the tools have become compared to what we dealt with, you know, even a decade ago, let alone twenty or thirty years ago. Yeah, and, no kidding. You know, yeah,
0: it's crazy. I'd like to dig into that authenticity thing a bit, and sure, just at a at a high level, even you mentioned, you know, at some points it's okay to have the production value and it's okay to be a bit more polished. And other times it's probably, it's probably okay all the time to have a fairly polished video, but where is it, where are you seeing it be more effective where people are just being that authentic self or not trying to overdo the production side of things? Like what, maybe what stage of the life cycle does that make the most sense at to just kind of be Let's be humans together. When does that make sense?
1: Yeah, let's be humans together. Well, I think that so. That question kind of has two different forks for me. One of them is that I think you should always be human to human, even if you're being polished, you know, even if it's 100% professional. I think now people respond much more openly and less skeptically to something that utilizes, like, let's say if there's going to be a script and there's going to be a narrator, you got to be careful about having that sort of classic corporate narration because that triggers something in people's minds. And I think it's even more so for millennials, but it's true for everybody. You hear that that disembodied godlike voice and you immediately have a certain part of you that says, this is a prepared message designed to manipulate me. <laughs> <You>
0: know, <laughs> there's a
1: skepticism that just happens. <laughs> and so I am very conscious of that. I think scripts need to speak the real language. Luckily, you know, even with the biggest clients I've worked with, I've watched their brand guidelines change over the years. Oh. And they've moved into more natural, friendly tones of voice. If you look at any big company's brand guidelines, very rarely will you see formal, corporate, proper. You know, you don't see words like that anymore. They'll all say, "We are, you know, friendly. We're accessible. We're we're experts, but you know, with a friendly side. You know, it's mm-hmm. all this, this kind of stuff." So, luckily, the branding people have all moved in that direction. Now, where that's a challenge is now they kind of all are saying the same thing. Every set of brand guidelines says, oh, we're going to be friendly but professional. All right, well, where does that leave us? You know, To me, the whole friendly thing is the human thing. It's just you got to tell it like it is. My number one rule, especially early in the customer life cycle, is to stop thinking that talking about yourself or your company is the way to connect with people. When you come out of the gate saying, we are this, or we have this product, or we have the solution for you. Whenever there's a we in that picture, whether it's the company name, the logo being pushed too hard, any of that stuff, the BS detectors go up and the people just don't give that video the same attention they would if it felt more like a true problem solution kind of presentation. So that is an ongoing challenge. You can imagine I've dealt with more marketing teams and more CMOs and everything than, you know, most people have ever imagined meeting. And in the course of that career, I can basically say, well, CMOs fall into one of two categories, those who are willing to risk and be honest and truthful to get the results they want, and those who just are going to be brand ambassadors first, no matter what. They're going to be pushing brand, 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 brand. And, you know, my experience now is that just doesn't work very well. It's almost yeah. like the harder you push the brand and treat the, the online world, the web world, like it's television advertising, the less traction you get. So I don't know if that, did that answer your question or did I go too far down? a.
0: No, I, 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 I love it. Uh, no, I've got more questions on that now because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like this is where, yeah, um, yeah I feel like there, there is a bit of a pull by, a lot of marketing officers, marketing people, to make sure. Well, maybe it's not even coming from the marketing team. It, it might be coming from, say, other other C suite people, where you know that video doesn't. You know, where's our logo? Where's why don't we talk about the product more? And I feel like there's a lot of that pressure to be more on brand, whereas the content that I think we're seeing work and be more effective about building communities and connections is, like you said, that more focused on making the customer the hero sort of thing. Um, yes. How yeah. do you, ha- how are you having those conversations and kind of convincing people that convincing these CMOs that, you know, maybe I don't know if softer is the right you know, that the softer side of things is a better yeah, way to yeah, go. It's a
1: softer sell. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That, that's a good word. Um, so I think right away, I can say that I probably cut down my client list by somewhere between, you know 35 and 50% just by having that conversation at the front end <laughs> and there're certain people who they're just not going to get it right and and I'm probably not the guy to be working with them if they're just going to be pushing brand all the time because like I said before there are times when you can push brand once you get people through the awareness phase and and you're in more of a pre-sale buying process there's a point where the brand can be all over stuff you know, because they already know what the brand is, right? They, they know what they're looking for. Now you're trying to show them that, that your company has the correct solution, the ideal solution, you know, and focus them in on the details of that. So at that point, sure, you can have brand all over it. But when you're just trying to build awareness at the front end, I, my experience is that over branding hurts. Um, so my conversation often will go to the, to the topic of context. And I'll say to them, realize that your videos don't just show up online in a vacuum. They usually show up in some kind of environment, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, or Facebook, or YouTube, or whatever. And nine times out of 10, that environment is already branded. You know, it's like you're already on the, You know, this company, company X's Facebook page, or you're on a LinkedIn feed and you're being shown that video by a sales rep at company X. You know, so context does a lot of that work. You don't have to then plaster the video full of brand as well. Uh, And if you have a bunch of channel partners, which almost every major vendor does these days and manufacturer, it's even more important because if you're pushing your brand too hard, they don't come off. Your channel partners don't come off as impartial advisors. Right. You know. And, and the, to the customer, that's what they care about. They want their advisors to be impartial. So the less you brand the problem-solution kind of videos, the more your channel partners and reps can do with those videos, the more trust they'll build at the front end, and you can put the branding in in subtler ways. You know, almost every company has color choices, um, you know, particular types of stock footage or, or you know, imagery that they want, um, font choices. All of those things are still there. You can be using those elements. They can be projecting the brand without necessarily having to say the brand name, show the logo all the time, all that. And that's not to say you can't bring up the logo at the end of the video or have it be a little bug in the corner or something like that. I I don't really object to that most of the time because my statistics from these, you know, hundreds of campaigns that I've been involved in, they show that that kind of stuff doesn't tend to hurt. It's just when you come out of the gate saying, we, us, you know, our brand, why we're so great, you know, people just don't care anymore. Yeah. They really don't.
0: And is that, could, could we boil that down to a pretty simple maybe rule of thumb here to say and i think this is true for just about any kind of copywriting too is if if you read through your script or or whatever copy that you have and if you see too many i's and we's that you need to go back and revise it and <laughs> think about who you're talking about and too is that a amen good? Yeah.
1: amen i i always tell anybody even when well, at the beginning, again, awareness building, prospecting, lead gen, you know, those stages, the early stage of trying to find a prospect who may be interested in what you offer. Um, at that stage, if you do a video and, well, how how I usually state it is this, it better be all about them for at least 30 seconds. If you don't give them 30 seconds, preferably a little longer, you're doing the wrong thing. So, think about the customer and be completely in their shoes for at least that first 30 seconds. Mm. After that, maybe you've stated the problem clearly enough that you can now kind of whisk your way in with a solution, but maybe not yet. Maybe the problem needs to be articulated even more deeply. You know, a lot of times, it's sort of like the more pain and discomfort you can create at the front end of those initial awareness building videos The more the solution comes as a relief, and so you know, a lot of times when I'm working with clients, we're playing with that kind of stuff. How long can we push this, or how long should we push it before we actually give that viewer a little relief? I mean, you don't want them to, you know, tune out because it's just all pain and you know all that
0: (laughs) and misery. But you do want them to
1: really be engaged and say, "Oh my gosh, these people really understand my problem." Right. You know, if you get that far with them, you're in a completely different you're on a different playing field than you are when you come out stating, Hey, we're so great. And here's why, you know, yeah. completely different.
0: And so you mentioned before that, uh, I think you said video is a great way of educating customers. And yes, I, I, I love that. And, and I can see that the value in that every step of the life cycle and something I've been spending a lot of time thinking about is, is how do you, as a, as a company, communicate in a way that by the time someone does come to you and says, I want to talk to you, that they pretty much know what you're about. They know that you understand their problems, what the solutions could be, but also Mm -hmm. the way of working and what that interaction is going to be like. Um, So it's almost like you're meeting with a friend instead of having what, you know, I think in sales terms, it would be called like a discovery call where it's like we're, we're feeling each other out. And mm-hmm. I think yeah. video can do that for you. Um, yeah. Do you, do you agree that video can, I mean, it's not going to take hundred percent of that sales role on its own, on its own shoulders video. But like, do you think that's possible to, to kind of get to that point where video almost becomes that discovery where if by the time they've seen what you've put out, and they put their hand up and say, I want to talk to you, that you can kind of make these assumptions that, like, I've educated them. They know enough. I think we're a bit more mm-hmm. qualified already, if that's making yeah, sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, every company needs to understand its own optimal sales process. They need to have a sense of how much individual sales rep time is normally involved in getting someone to say yes and sign a deal or whatever has to happen. you know and obviously we're kind of talking about complex sales I think for the most part here mm. because simple sales you can do it with video easily now I mean that it's almost like you're better off doing it with video than any other methodology. Um, with a complex sale, I am constantly surprised how far you really can take, A prospect using video, I mean, I've seen literally $750,000 million deals get signed almost entirely on the basis of video content, Mm -hmm. like the entire process from awareness right through all the pre-sale, figuring out, you know, is this the right solution or is that the right solution? Which version of the product should we get? You know, if you have enough video content that's really informative about all that stuff and it's triggered properly so that, you know, when the person at the prospect company asks for it or needs it, it's there for them. So a lot of it has to be on demand. Um, if you've done that well, then you can take people a long way. So what we're, you know, what's the possible missing component there? The answer is the personalization, you know, the the do they need to feel that there's a real person who is there who's going to back this up who will be there in a time of need if it doesn't work properly you know are they going to have someone who's on their side and you know one of the beautiful things about what we're seeing with Zoom and all the rest of the stuff with work from home right now is that i was always advocating this by the way i always felt that there should be content from each individual sales rep if possible or at a bare minimum there should be personalization that reflects each individual sales rep, so they're sort of getting credited for the video that gets shared. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but but this idea of having the actual salesperson, the one who is going to be responsible for that contract and you know shepherding it and making sure everybody's happy with it, I think that person needs to appear on camera, if at all possible, in front of the potential buyer, so that they know who they're dealing with, you know, and it demystifies the process. It and now that, you know, we have permission to do it remotely. Wow. I mean, it's, it's even more important and sort of a no brainer. I mean, like you said, you don't, you don't have to travel anymore. <laughs> you can build an entire relationship. So if you can, if part of this then is thinking strategically about where do we have the actual sales rep stick their nose in. Hmm. And, you know, so Voodoo has a product where our platform, we have something called a digital business card, and so when a when a sales rep is sharing e- an email, let's say they send an email to someone, and they're at the prospect level at that point, uh, there there's a digital business card at the bottom of this frame. So the, so the video that might be there will be in the middle. There will be branding at the top, usually the channel partner name, you know, and identity, their logo, etc. And then at the bottom is this digital business card, and it's going to be a photo of that actual rep. Their email address is going to be there with a live clickable link. There, there may or may not be some type of call to action button down there. You know, it's basically a resource page or contact page, let's call it, that has a video in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And so that rep sends it out. And now there's a couple things that happen. One, every time a prospect clicks to watch that video, they also see the smiling face of that rep. And they see their name and they see their email address and they see their phone number. You know, they they get a sense of that person, even if it's only with a photo. So that's happening right at the front end. Another great benefit is that then if anyone passes that video along to someone else, you know, like, okay, I'm I'm at the wrong, I'm in the wrong department, I need to pass this along to IT, or I'm I need to pass it up to the C level. When it gets passed, that reps frame goes along with the video. So Mm -hmm. now we've moved it to a new level, but that that rep is getting FaceTime, if you will. But they haven't inserted themselves overtly, right? They haven't recorded a video with their iPhone and, you know, (laughs) put it into the system yet, but they can. Now, one of the things that we do, both at Voodoo and, and me separately as a video growth hacker, I will coach companies on that process. And I'll say to them, hey, every one of your salespeople, ideally." Now, we know there are going to be certain people who will not comply. That's fine. We're going for an 80-20 rule here. If we can get 80% compliance, we're going to score huge. We're going to get those sales reps to sit and record a message that serves this purpose. It's going to be about 30 seconds long. It's going to say this basic stuff, but it's going to do it in their own words. It's got to be authentic. If Robert's going to record it, it's got to be authentic. If Pete's going to record his version, it's got to sound like Pete. And so we give guidelines and it's really cool because what you see is that not only do the salespeople kind of get into it, they take pride in doing their own little unique thing, you know, something that really feels like them. And, and boy, when they own it, then they're going to share that stuff like crazy. That's what's so cool about all this is that the ownership and the ability to share through your own social feeds, through your own email, whatever, um, it just. Create so much more video viewership than you would get through more passive means. You know, just putting a video on a website and hoping people find it. Right. You know, that's that's not much of a technique these days.
0: No, <laughs> it's table stakes now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can't really get away without it. And that's, I love that about what I was sort of watching you do. And is it's putting video into places where a lot of people don't think to put it necessarily. And question I was going to ask, and you kind of addressed it already, is how do you scale that up? And I wasn't initially thinking of, you could just use the still shot and put the headshot as that business card, as you mentioned, Um, especially for those that are reluctant to put themselves on camera, which happens. Um, I really like the idea of uh, letting, just talking like the sales team, and I'm thinking of real estate agents at the moment for some reason, just Perfect. You know, you had a full team, yes. an office full of agents that sat down for 30 seconds and recorded their own. It's, it's still on agency brand, but it's also personalized. And so with, how do you scale that up? Cause I think you've, you've addressed that with, with voodoo in the sense that you have that library of videos, right? And so you've got some content that's pre recorded and the videos are there and then people can kind of insert themselves into that. Is that how that yeah works.
1: That, well that that's accurate specifically for uh, one particular sector that we've been working with for many moons um, the sort of voice and data VoIP telecom sector yeah. is a group that we have worked with extensively we've had multiple huge distributors, many of the biggest vendors have been our clients, and they all for whatever reason seem to be in that technology space so when we We created something very specifically for salespeople who sell that kind of stuff, whether it's subscription-based stuff or hardware or both. And in that case, we knew a lot about the technologies, the stuff that they were selling that's hard to explain. You know, it's all hard to explain because it's complicated and you have to approach it from a problem solution standpoint, or it doesn't really make any sense to anybody other than the IT guy. So in that case, we actually developed an entire library. I think we're up to like 24, 25 videos that are basically technology sales videos and they're all awareness building, beginning, you know, top of the funnel stuff. Um, so that's a, that's a very particular thing. When you bring up that question, though, of what is the scalability? I think we realize that voodoo. We're not really scalable as far as creating generic videos that work for a whole bunch of different, different industries. You know, that would be a huge amount of work. And we don't really know enough about those industries to feel like we do it justice. So what we ended up doing to, to really make this scalable was to say, we're going to trust in the case of, let's say, big companies, you know, um, you were talking about real estate. That is a perfect example if you go on youtube and you check out the channels of the big real estate companies what you'll find out is that nearly all of them at least the savvy ones are already producing corporate level content designed to educate sellers and buyers yeah. you know so you'll find stuff that'll be all about uh, mortgage rates and how to negotiate with your broker and you know when you put in an offer on a house what should it look like you know all these types of topics those of course are branded to the specific realty company the the master realty company i'm talking about now and then you've got all these thousands of agents that are under particular umbrellas we developed an app specifically because we were <laughs> we kind of hit this plateau you know i was telling you about how complicated these life cycle campaigns are mm. we couldn't go into a real estate company and convince them to do a life cycle campaign you know because a most of them are already doing their own video. They think they know it all already. They've got marketing people who are experts and being very highly paid. We're not going to come in and tell them what to do. But we could come in with a tool that would allow them to take all that fabulous corporate-level video they're producing and put it into a tool that each agent could use more effectively. Mm. and where the individual agent wouldn't have to literally have a video edited to include their name and address and their logo and all that because keep in mind you know i mentioned before we have this framing technology we can take a video any corporate level video and have it framed with let's say that local real estate uh company i'm trying to think about the how the the hierarchy here you know let's say okay it's keller okay. williams and then there's Joe's Realty in such and such, you know, California. And then there's the rep, the individual real estate agent. Our system was kind of perfect for that. We just realized we need to streamline it. We need mm-hmm. to make this really easy. So a company like Keller Williams or another realty, big realty company can create a library and say, we're going to put these 30 videos into a library. And now an agent can get their own seat in the video brand tool that we've created. And guess what? They now have those 30 videos from their big company, but it's got their company name at the top, it's got their digital business card at the bottom, and so now they can share these Keller Williams or whatever company videos and kind of get credit for it, right? They get that individual credit that they care about so much and they need. Uh, So there's that side of it. But then what we also wanted to do is make it accessible. So we built this whole thing with a YouTube hosting backbone. Mm -hmm. So what that means now is that the real estate agent can go and let's say they get a new listing. They can go and do a tour video just using their iPhone, upload it to YouTube, and they can immediately take that video, put it in their video brandcaster account and have it all nicely framed and have a digital business card with it. Um, They could do the same thing for, they could even do that with another realtor's listings, right? They could treat that (laughs) realtor's listing almost as if it's their own by putting (laughs) it inside their frame. So, you know, you can kind of, and that's just realty, right? We've got to, you know, probably talk about 20 different industries that that would work for. Um, But it's a really interesting thing. And so for us, the scalability really comes into this concept of creating an app that is truly foolproof, that The individual agents at a big company could use, but then also a mom and pop, a restaurant owner, uh, you know, a solo practitioner, you know, someone who has a yoga studio. I mean, everybody really should be doing video marketing. So we've been focused on creating a tool that they can do that with and that has a YouTube backbone. So the videos are still searchable. You know, people can still find them over on YouTube, but now you can take those videos, frame them up. You can share them, you know, your name and your address and your phone and whatever you want is going to be going along with it in your branding, uh, that kind of thing.
0: So no. you let and me
1: go for a while there.
0: <laughs> no, dear, I love it. I think as, as a, just as a concept, like just the idea of having that library there is, uh, you know, it's not a new concept, but the conversations that I have with a lot of different marketing people, it's, it's it's always the thinking process seems to be, well, if we're going to do video and if we're taking real estate, it's like, well, we've got to, we've got to get every agent to sit down and read this and do that. And, you know, all of a sudden we're making a hundred videos. And instead of looking at it that way, you've kind of flipped it around and made it a lot more accessible, That it's still an investment. You still have to make 20, 30 videos, but once you've done it, unless something, there's some seismic shift in the market and and the, the field that you're in, and everything becomes outdated and wrong. You've got that right. for you know. It's an investment that'll pay off, and all of a sudden, it's not just thirty videos. It's thirty videos. If we're talking real estate, it's times the number of agents that you have. All of a sudden, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, I just I love so the idea. so
1: here, you know, for me, let's say I I sometimes get shocked, almost appalled when I will go to, let's say, a big insurance company website, and I'll look at videos that they've posted beautifully produced videos that they clearly spent, you know, thousands of dollars doing, and I'll see, you know, 346 views. Sometimes I'll see, you know, 24 views on something that clearly cost them thousands of dollars. And I just think to myself, what is going on here? How is it possible that they just put this video up on their YouTube channel and just let it sit there? You know, what is going on? So from my standpoint, you take that video, you put it into a video brandcaster account, and now every individual agent has an incentive to share it. I mean, for one thing, they're all trying to feed the beast of social media, right? You're just looking for excuses to stay in front of people. Now you got videos, way better way to stay in front of people. Yeah. Um, so they do that. And so now the individual is getting credit for those. But the really cool thing is because we're using the videos as they are hosted on YouTube, the company, the, the parent company is getting credit for all the views that come through those individual agents. So, you know, if you've got 70,000 agents like at State Farm and you've got a decent percentage of them, let's say 10,000 start sharing a given video, well, they're sharing it to their network, which is usually going to be somewhere between 300 and 3,000 people. You're going to get, you know, maybe a 10% click-through rate. All of a sudden, the views on the corporate YouTube channel go through the roof. Because the salespeople are out there pushing it and they've never had that before. So that's another really kind of key feature. It was one of the main reasons we decided to use YouTube as the backbone instead of trying to to sort of take it all over and control it and have our own video hosting, which was a temptation, you know, because there's always a temptation to want to control everything because you never know what YouTube's going to do. They could change their rules or whatever, but we made that choice and I've been, really happy we did. I mean, the benefit that our clients get out of still having the videos up on YouTube is huge. Yeah. You know, because that just I mean, it's the number 2 search engine in the world, right? It's right behind Google. Yeah. So, people search YouTube as often as they do Google almost, and, you know, I want my clients to have their videos be found. And even the little guys, you know, the the individual agents, it's good if they put their stuff up there.
0: Yeah. I, I so everything about that. I'm, I'm excited now. Cause I feel like <laughs> so, the, the idea of having the library is great. I think from a corporate point of view, it cuts down on the volume of production that you have to do, but from also yep. from a corporate side, you know, we've, we've talked about this at the top of the show is distribution was always the hard part. And yep. I think, I know I approach it this way and I'm starting to think about it differently now is that how do I, as say head of marketing, distribute these these videos? And instead of thinking about how how do I do it and where do I need to put it, giving it to your team, giving it to your yes. employees, so you're you've democratized the distribution the of the video.
1: Yeah, which exactly. Yes. Is
0: yeah, the wheels are spinning in my head at the moment. Just <laughs> very much how to, like that just makes so much more sense. Whereas you've got like an army of people who want to share what you've made. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Don't, don't try to fight this battle alone, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, no, it's really true. I, I mean, I think you and I probably face that often. I still will produce pieces of content. And, you know, my first thought is, oh, we got to put it up on the YouTube channel. We got to put it here. We got to put it there. We got to post it on social, you know, and I'm thinking of it from a corporate perspective, everything's centralized. Yep. I don't necessarily start by thinking, wait a minute we got to get this out into the hands of everybody else who can share it. And, and that really is where all the power of this lies.
0: Yes. Sorry. I'm taking notes as I no, no as problem. You say that, because yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I feel like that, that model and I'm, you're starting to see it. I know LinkedIn pushes this a lot where it's employee advocacy and, mm-hmm. um, yep. but the, you yep. know, then you, you, you run into the, the same old problem of, you know, what, what content are they producing and what are they putting out? And I think yeah. this kind of addresses no, and, that as well, where you keep some control, yep. but you give the distribution up to not up. You don't give it up. You give it over to the people who want the business to succeed anyway, because it benefits.
1: them. Yes. Too. And you encourage them to participate, not just in distributing corporate content, but into actually creating some of their own. Hmm. You give them guidelines, you know, you, you don't just leave them out there to make up stuff. You kind of say, here's what, what we know will be helpful to you. And in a lot of cases, in fact, I'd say most cases we create backup content where if that person just isn't comfortable going on camera and they're not going to do it, you know, and, or at least not be confident enough to look good doing it, Hmm. that's fine. We'll give them backup content so that they don't need to you know they they still have the core elements that cover that whole customer life cycle but those who want to can and they should because i'm telling you as soon as they see themselves on camera and they realize that now Those videos of them on camera are part of a bigger picture that includes some really great professional content that isn't overly branded, and most of all, that actually works. You know, Mm -hmm. that gets them new leads, that opens doors, that helps them start conversations. If you're doing that for them, man, the salespeople—they they actually become the biggest advocates early on. They will take over from marketing, and suddenly you'll see sales. Stepping in and saying, "We kind of want to have more involvement in this. We want to do more. We want to fund some of this." It's really interesting. It and you know that can bend marketing noses out of shape. You got to be careful, but that's <laughs> at the big companies.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is that a really big company? Egos, yeah. <laughs> Egos and turf wars, yeah. Oh, that happens. that that'll never end, I think. But nope. Well, I, I I think there's this this merging of sales, marketing, and and customer engagement. That's all just kind of kind of become one, new, yeah. you know, where it's all part of the same process really. So uh, I think doing something like this, this idea of the, the pooling the content and then also giving individuals the ability to create their own yep. helps actually do that and maybe bridge that gap a little bit. But anyway, that's a, that's a completely other topic of probably
1: no, just- no doubt. And, and, you know, and I want to step back just enough for a second to say this probably, um, there are probably people listening to this who are thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is so complicated." I'm not going to touch this with a <laughs> ten foot pole, <laughs> and I wouldn't blame them. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, though, it, it really all does start with just sitting down and looking at the opportunities you have. Usually, in fact, I can't tell you. I've, I would say probably 80 percent of the clients I've ever worked with they have started with one or two videos. You know, they, they don't tend to start with a whole strategy and program. So you start by saying, okay, where's the biggest need or the biggest opportunity. And you figure out how video can serve that and prove itself. Right. You know, I always look at it and say, Hey, let's just do this. Like you have this budget, we're going to put that into it. And here's what we expect to get back. Or here's the minimum that we'll consider that this was worthwhile if we get back. And I mean, video is so powerful if it's done right, you're going to make more back. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't even remember the last time a company didn't get greater ROI than what they put into a video. So from that standpoint, it's more just having the courage to do some initial cash outlay, spend some time strategizing about it, and hopefully bringing someone in who is skilled, you know, who has a background, who's seen enough that they know what isn't likely to work as much as what is likely to work. That's one of my complaints with a lot of videographers is they come in wanting to tell the story of the client mm-hmm. and I always look and say good luck with that. You know, it's not that's <laughs> not likely to give you ROI. Yeah. But if we get ourselves in the customer's shoes, we will. So at any rate, you know, one or two videos let video prove itself. Uh, another great place to invest would be to make sure that there is a what I call a flagship video on a company's website, I'm amazed at the number of companies who do not have any video greeting people, you know, showing what the problems that they solve are. Uh, and it's a huge missed opportunity. I mean, if for in terms of SEO, it's the single thing you can do on a website to improve your SEO rankings. So, you know, there's got to be a native video on that homepage. And if there isn't, it's like those people are my, always my first <laughs> prospects, you know. Yeah. You do not have a video on your website. Let's talk. And part of the reason that I feel so confident about that is that uh, it was a couple of years ago, Forrester Research went out and determined, they did, they did a study and they determined how, how big the SEO boost was. So this is what they did. They, they discovered that a company that had a native video on their homepage was 53 times more likely to appear on page one of a Google search. Wow. Okay. So a 53 X multiplier to improve your chances of being on page one instead of being buried somewhere. And I mean, I use that stat all the time because how much are you going to spend on a flagship video? You know, on the low end, something customized, you know, maybe it's five grand on the high end. Maybe it's, well, it could go up to, you know, astronomy if we want to go there. Sky but is the I mean, limit, yes. Let's say, you know, from five to 20,000 is a pretty reasonable number for a lot of companies, you know, small to mid-sized. And you put that on your website. And by the way, it needs to be hosted on YouTube because YouTube and Google are in bed with each other, of course, you know, YouTube or Google owns YouTube. So that's an important part of the equation. But you put that video up there. And all of a sudden, you just watch your search engine position improve. You know, it's a systematic, you just start moving up. You can't buy that with typical SEO kind of work. You know, it's it's sort of the number one thing a company should do, but so few actually do it. It's crazy to me. But of course, I know the statistic and a lot of people don't. (laughs) And they don't know where to start.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think that's, and I was going to ask, is it, yeah, we did get into the weeds and it, it does seem like this big hairy beast of a thing, but
1: yeah,
0: yeah that's, you always need one place to start. And I, I suggest the same thing too, instead of having that conversation quite often where it's like, we want to produce everything. You think, well, <laughs> before yeah. we, before we commit, you know, an entire year's worth of budget to something, how about we start a bit smaller think through what, exactly what you said, like, where are those high leverage points? And that's an awesome one. I had not read that study before, so I'm definitely going to make a note of that. And
1: yeah, like that's a, an interesting one. And, you know, I, I'm trying to remember now how – I don't know how old that study is now because I've been quoting that stat for probably too long <laughs> to get the <laughs> refreshed stat. Um, but, you know, it's, it's probably three or four years old, I would guess. But I remember when I first saw it, I, I thought, well, let's say it's even – 2x not 53x are you still going to do it you know sure. when when you talk about everything companies do to try to increase the number of inbound leads they get i mean my gosh at any rate you know this is just one more reason why i'm so stoked about video You know, I I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I am still as excited about video today as I was the first time it worked on one of my campaigns years ago. You know, when I just looked at it and thought, I cannot believe what video did that nothing else even touched. So, and it's the emotion, you know, it's, it's always a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Well, moving pictures are worth millions of words. I mean, it's, it's just crazy how effective it can be.
0: I love it um i'm gonna switch gears just a little bit and because i know we're coming up on an hour here um i i saw that you posted on medium you, you play the guitar and you're in oh i the, do yeah you yeah, yeah. duo and i i dabble i will not say that i play the guitar and my wife would mm-hmm. certainly tell you that i it's not playing that i'm doing but um <laughs> you you mentioned that um Playing the guitar has health benefits. I'm just curious, you know, what, what is playing the guitar done for you? Because I, I feel like as creatives, everyone needs, especially with creative people that are like yeah. hyper creative, that there's got to be some sort of outlet. And I'm just exploring this a little bit, you know, is guitar your outlet and what has that helped you? I do know. Do you feel calmer? What does it, what does it do for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. I, I would say it, it's really, for me, I would almost term it just music doesn't have to specifically be guitar, but making music is huge for me. Mm -hmm. And for me, it tends to be both playing an instrument and singing. I'm a vocalist and I love layering harmonies and doing this kind of stuff. I've been a recording musician for years and years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, it was funny, a couple years ago, I realized that my career, my video career was sort of preventing me from spending as much spare time doing music as I wanted to. I was like, they're almost too similar, you know, sitting in front of a computer doing video work. Isn't that different than sitting in front of a computer recording music? Mm. Um, And and when I realized that, it was kind of a disheartening thing. And I thought, you know, I want to recommit to music somehow. And so the way I did it was I started uh, a YouTube channel just under my name, Robert Cassard, but I started a series called Guitar Discoveries and the guitar discovery, I'm, I'm like, how many, hundred episodes into this thing now. I mean, I've been doing this for two years, and what I've realized is exactly what you were asking me about, the health benefits of being involved in music are, are they're a little hard to put your finger on, but there's all kinds of studies about this. I mean, it's not just me that's saying, hey, this is good for you. Um, there's something about the The tactile nature of it, about the way your brain engages with music, it's a mathematical thing. Music Mm -hmm. is always closely related to mathematics. So it's like a brain puzzle you're always playing, and you're dealing with your own physical dexterity. So you're keeping your joints limber. Um, You're having to stay on top of a moving target, you know, because music's temporal, right? It's moving through time. I mean, you know, the comparison between music and video is always there, right? I I always feel like these are two sides of the same coin. Uh, It's something that moves through time, and you just need to be engaged with it in the present moment. You know, all of that mindfulness information that's out there and all the spiritual counselors who will focus on mindfulness and being in the present moment, to me, making music, you are in the present moment. You have to be because that's where the music is made. You know, you can't be 10 bars ahead of yourself or it'll fall apart. So you have to be in the here and now. And and I think that in and of itself is sort of the natural way music roots you into mindfulness without having to make it into a big spiritual exercise. You know, it's just there happening every day. Um, So that's probably my primary one. The other thing I think is that when you sing and when you have a guitar in your in your lap and you, f- those vibrations are running through you, all of life is vibration. Mm-hmm. And we are shaking up our energy field. And, and I think that's a really healthy thing. It's like to keep it open, flowing, you know, on an energy level, there's something really powerful to me about that. So hopefully that makes sense.
0: Oh, it does. I love it. Yeah. I, I feel the same way that music, I think there's a reason that it can be a pick me up. It can also be, you know, if you wanted to, spiral into a depression, it can help you do that too, right? It sort of just follows that. Not that I'm suggesting that anyone do that, but you know, it yeah. plays to the emotional side. And I do feel like, I don't know, that's, that's been my practice lately is if I'm having a, a lull in my day. I'm looking to move and be a bit more active, but also incorporate more music into the day that kind of,
1: I think that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, the reason I created that, that YouTube series was pretty much for people like you, you know, people who maybe they haven't been lifelong musicians or, or they're not yet at the level they want to be. I looked out there and I saw all these people doing guitar lessons. And I was like, no, 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 we don't need any more guitar lessons, right? There's tons of those out there. But what I didn't see were people, where it was really anybody giving shortcuts. You know, I've been playing guitar mm-hmm. literally for 50 years. So for me, it's like it's so much a part of me that there's a bunch of stuff I do that I don't even think about. Right. And by sitting down and saying, wait a minute, I do this and this made it easier for me to play whole songs. And, you know, this little trick will help you, you know, be able to play at a level you didn't think you could. Well, that's a huge part mentally and emotionally, right? If you Mm -hmm. can start playing and sounding better, then you just have a completely different relationship with that process. You know, you're going to love it as opposed to thinking of it as a little bit as a chore. Right. Now you're going to say, oh, this is my joy, you know? And and so I try to, you know, <laughs> help people get to the joy state faster. That's a big part of it for me.
0: Uh, that's yeah, beautiful. <laughs> that's the right. way it should right be, on. I think.
1: <laughs> right on. I'm glad <laughs> you feel that way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm definitely I'll, I'll be taking in some of those videos, I think. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Cool.
1: I would be honored to have you as a subscriber.
0: I really would. <laughs> um, All right. Robert, I, I, I think... Um, uh, look i've got probably a thousand more questions that I could ask um, but we'll, i'll I'll move to wrap us up because uh, i've I've held you for quite a, or kept you for a while It's um, really
1: been fun really fun peter i i've really enjoyed it so anytime you want to continue our conversation let's do it I would love It'd to be fun um,
0: yeah. in the meantime everybody yeah. listening, where should they go to find out more and perhaps including the uh, your YouTube channel with the, about the um, learning the guitar too
1: sure sure. Probably the easiest place to go is videogrowthhacker.com. Cool. That's like I said, that's my solo practice. They'll see a bunch of video stuff that I've produced, and there's a contact form there if they want to get in touch with me. So that's a real easy one. Uh, phone numbers there, all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the guitar discoveries go, just look for my name, Robert Cassard, which is spelled S as in Sam, A R D as in David, Robert Cassard and my channel is under my name, so it's easy to find.
0: Easy. Robert, yep. thank you.
1: My pleasure. <laughs> Anytime, Peter.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this content and want to learn more about how to leverage video for your business, for yourself, please head over to dearvideo.com, sign up to receive our video marketing playbooks where we go deep into the strategies, the tactics, the processes, and even the tools that you can use to make the right video at the right time so you can grow your business and connect with your audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts give your Video a rating. We'd love to hear from you and the feedback is always important to us. Thanks so much for listening. Go make some awesome video and until next time, see ya.